Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open the words of Scripture to us this morning and teach us from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Just before I, I preach, I want to let you know a little bit about the, the sermons this year. As we always do, we'll be doing a bunch of different three- to six-week sermon series that are geared toward everyday life. But between next week and the end of June, we'll be doing those sermon series chronologically through the Bible. So that we'll simultaneously be learning the whole Bible as we go through the year. So if you come between next week and the end of June, you will have heard the whole Bible more or less, skipping a few bits here and there. <laughs> and the point of this is, is we'll do those sermon series as normal. It's going to be just like normal. But the point is to learn the, the Bible, the whole story of the Bible. And not as an academic sort of dry march through Scripture, but learn how to apply this to our everyday lives in ways that change how we live. So I really strongly encourage you guys to come every Sunday uh, between, now, between next week and the end of June because you'll learn all of Scripture if you do. And I'll start that next week where I will go through the whole Bible in one sermon. And it won't even be much longer than normal. <laughs> so you're going to want to come and hear how I do that without talking any faster than I already do. But that's next week. This week, this week is different. Today is the mission fair, and I want to talk about that. There's a man in our church who I think has a very inspiring vision. In five years, he wants to see a Newsweek cover that says this, the new God's country, Seattle's east side. That is, the east side would look like things would look if God were in charge here. Now, this man actually wants that cover to read the Pacific Northwest, but I thought you might not all believe that, so I shrunk his vision down a little bit. <laughs> and here's how I imagine that article might read five years from now. Something's happening on Seattle's east side that neither politicians nor psychiatrists can explain, though they're all trying to take credit for it. Since 2009, the divorce rate has plummeted until it's now virtually non-existent. From all accounts, it's not just that marriages stay together, but they're actually happy. Poverty has also sharply declined, but not through government programs. Instead, small groups of people have come alongside families in need, but not to give them a handout, but to walk with them in a personal way, sometimes for years, until they're financially stable. They provide job training on everything from how to interview for a job, balance a checkbook, tutoring, computer skills, everything people need to climb out of poverty. There are other impressive statistics. Experts estimate that every child on the east side has more than seven adults other than their parents involved in their lives. Stress-related illnesses have sharply declined. There has not been a case of white-collar fraud since 2009, and east siders score highest in the country in life satisfaction surveys. And the list goes on and on. It's almost as if heaven has come to earth. And all of this is not the result of government programs. It can be traced back to one source, the local church. Starting in 2009, churchgoers got out of the pews and got involved in personal ways that make a difference. They got serious about their marriages, their families, and their community. If you ask them what inspired them to do all of this, as if on cue, they respond with one word, Jesus. In fact, church attendance has jumped from just under 9% in 2009 to 75% in 2014, <laughs> making Seattle's east side the most church region of the country. Let me ask you this. Do you think that's impossible? No, of course not. And does God think it's impossible? Absolutely. Wow. 
Did y'all become Pentecostal over the summer or something? <laughs> of course it's not impossible. It is exactly what God wants to do. God wants to see that Newsweek cover come by 2014 or maybe sooner. In the passage we read today, the prophet Isaiah says that God will send his Messiah, who we know to be Jesus, and Jesus will usher in God's kingdom. And that passage describes what God's kingdom looks like. When God is in charge, things start to happen. People are lifted out of poverty. It says that righteousness will be his belt. And that word righteousness is not self-righteousness. The original meaning is right-relatedness. Everything in right relationship to one another. The passage says that Jesus will bring justice. I think that's a word we need to define because in our culture, justice can get kind of trivialized. I saw a news report about a lawyer who bought a box of 24 expensive cigars and had them insured for $15,000. Then he smoked them all in one month and filed an insurance claim, get this, saying that the cigars had been destroyed in a series of 24 small fires. (laughs) No lie, this is true. Well, the insurance company refused to pay, citing the obvious that he had smoked the cigars, right? And the judge agreed that the lawsuit was frivolous, but according to the law, the insurance company had to pay because they didn't specify which kind of fires were covered and which weren't. So they paid $15,000. But the insurance company had the last laugh because based on this man's own testimony in court, they had him arrested for 24 counts of arson. We sometimes shrink justice, trivialize it, just like in that story, to something kind of silly. But around the world, there are all kinds of real injustices going on. Children kidnapped and forced into the sex trade. Widows have their lands taken by local thugs. In our own country, people with power sometimes take advantage of people who don't have it and exploit them, whether that be the poor or their employees or immigrants. But God wants to bring justice, which means power rightly applied to protect the poor, the weak, and the marginalized. God's kingdom is about peace. This passage says that the wolf will live with the lamb. It's an, in, it's an image of peace, both internal peace, where we live without worry because we know that God's got our back, but also external peace, reconciliation between us and others. Who is that wolf in your life? Who has hurt you? When God is in charge of the east side, that person will come to you and ask forgiveness and seek to make amends, and you'll do the same to those you've hurt. That's what God wants. And I bet you want it too. And the good news is because God wants it, it's going to happen because what God wants, God eventually gets, well, because he's God. That's the good news. But I think the news gets better than that, and you've heard me say this before. I think it gets even better than that because not only does he want all that to happen, but he invites us into the adventure of being part of making that Newsweek cover a reality. And to me, this is exciting. I don't know about you, but I hate to be bored. I just hate to be bored. I want life to be big. I want adventure. So this invitation to be part of God's rescue mission excites me. I want to be, you know, that person who, does, who skids into life, thoroughly used up, whatever I said back in that sermon in May. You know, I want to be that person that does that. I want an adventure. And that's why this invitation excites me. You see, the primary word in the Christian faith is go. God says to Abraham, go. God says to Jonah, go. To Isaiah, Go. But you know, to hear some preachers, you'd think the primary word in Christian faith was stop. 
Stop doing this. Stop doing that. Stop doing this, you know, because Jesus died on the cross so we could not do things. Now, yes, Jesus gives us the power to break free from destructive behaviors that harm us. He gives us that power. Amen. But that is only half of it. That is only half the story. Reminds me of of an apocryphal story I heard about a woman who was in a grocery store and told the clerk, I want to buy half a cantaloupe. And the clerk said, well, we don't sell half cantaloupes, just whole ones. But the lady kept insisting. So the clerk went to the manager and said, there's some crazy lady out there wants to buy half a cantaloupe. And then he noticed she was standing right next to him. So without missing a beat, he says, and this kind lady has offered to buy the other half. (laughs) Yes, Jesus saves us from our sins. That's only half the cantaloupe. The full cantaloupe is we're also saved for adventure as we partner with him to make that Newsweek cover a reality. So he says, go. Go love and care and serve in ways that make up there. Come down here in our neighborhoods, in our offices, to the whole world because it's not just the east side that God wants to transform. It is the whole world, every last square inch of it, every last person on it. So Jesus says, go. And when we go, we go with his name on our lips. Because while people need to be rescued out of poverty and get justice and all of the rest, it is even more important that they know Jesus because only he can make them whole. Only he can give us peace. Only he can give us joy. I've mentioned before that Alcoholics Anonymous, one of the most effective treatments for overcoming addiction there is. And it was founded by two men who got sober through the power of Jesus. But their first version of AA, which was based on a lot of psychological research, didn't work. And then the founders realized that their program didn't match at all their own experience of breaking free from addiction through the power of Christ. So they scrapped the first version and started the 12-step program, seven steps of which are about surrendering to God, which for the founders specifically meant Jesus. You see, we can't get whole on our own. Only he can make us whole. So when we serve, it's not just to go out there and do a bunch of good deeds. No, no, no. It's to connect people to Jesus, who is their only hope. The worst criticism I ever received since coming here came in the form of a compliment from a woman who does not go to our church, but she said, I just love all the good stuff your church does. And I just love the way you encourage your flock to go out and make a difference. Why, Scott, you're just like Oprah. She does good deeds too. I wanted to die. Okay, first of all, never compare a guy to Oprah, okay? Like, just... (laughs) FYI, women, don't be doing that, all right? Just, it gives us issues, okay? But second, I sort of had hoped we'd remind people of Jesus. So, when we go out to serve, we need to serve in ways that can only be explained by Jesus. We need to serve in ways that go beyond what would make the Oprah show. Maybe because it's longer term or it's harder. And the only reason anyone would ever serve in such a sacrificial way is because Jesus asked them to. Let me give you, for instance, what if small groups of people from churches, maybe Bible studies or something like that, came alongside individual families in need, not to give them a handout, but to help them find the tools they need to get themselves out of poverty. Whether it's tutoring for their kids, legal or medical help, teaching, job interview skills, whatever it is. What if we personally walked with them until they were out of poverty? Oh, it would take years. It'd probably be frustrating. 
The relationships may get a little tense at times. Did I mention it would probably take years? That's why nobody in our culture does it. Just throw money at something, right? Nobody does it, except for Christians who are doing it. Did you know the Jubilee Reach Center has a community care program that, that does just this? And when we serve in ways uh, uh, that can only be explained by Jesus having asked us to do it, ways that other people won't serve, folks are going to want to know him, they're going to see something different, and they're going to have the wholeness that only he can bring. You will have noticed it is our mission fair today, annual mission fair. Each booth out there represents one of the ways that we as a church are making a difference in the world, either individually as a church or with other people, other partners. And the theme this year is walking with the poor because God's command to care for the poor is on almost every page of Scripture. It is not a minor sub-theme. And whether it's through the ways that we serve locally or the ways that we care for folks in countries like Guatemala, Cambodia, Rwanda, Sudan, we are part of making that Newsweek cover a reality not just here but around the world. And when we do this, when we participate with this God's great adventure, we get two things out of it. The first thing is we get closeness with Jesus. When Jesus was here, he spent all of his time with the sick, the poor, the lame, and the outcast. And if we want to experience Jesus, we need to be where he is, which is out in that world. And when we join him in what he's doing in the world, we experience him in deeper ways. And the second thing we get is a life, a bigger life that has significance. A bigger life that has significance. I took my six-year-old daughter to breakfast uh, a couple weeks ago, and she was fascinated with the credit card I used to pay the bill. And when she asked about it, I said, well, it records how much money we spend, and then at the end of the month, we pay the bill, the whole bill, so that we don't accumulate interest. Just a little financial counseling early, doesn't hurt, right? <laughs> and her eyes got big, and she said, I want to be a credit card person when I grow up, so I can have all that money that people spend. Great. Well, a few minutes later, she said, Dad, do, do teachers get paid money? And I said, uh-huh, they do. And she said, well, who gets more, teachers or credit card people? And I said, well, that would be credit card people. <laughs> and she said, then, oh, then for sure I want to be a credit card person so that I can buy an RV. <laughs> At six? An RV? I mean, where does this come? The point of life is to get an RV, I assure you. Neither my wife or I have ever wishfully spoken the letters R and V together in the same sentence. Never. It's just like it's in the air. But surely there's more to life than just going through the motions, getting some stuff, and then dying. One of the programs we sometimes run here is called Alpha. It's a program to help people know the basics of Christianity. And they have an ad, which is for the Alpha program, but it also makes a point that's relevant to this sermon. So watch this video.
isn't there more to life than that? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. I talked with a man in our church last week who has been a Christian his whole life. But at one point, after having experienced some success in life and career, he started wondering, isn't there a bigger adventure that can sustain me beyond the next business deal, beyond the next purchase? So he set out on a three-month trip across the country to, quote, find himself. He said, but I didn't get my answers on the trip. So after he got back, he started looking to be part of something bigger than himself, out of himself. And he asked, well, what do I like to do? And the answer was easy. He's a pilot and he loves to fly. So he got on the internet and found an organization called Angel Flight, which flies people all around for charitable or medical needs. Things like people who can't afford to fly someplace for a treatment they need, or family members who can't afford to fly to be with a loved one while they're sick or dying. So now he flies for them as a volunteer, and he loves it. Now, he said it hasn't always been easy. He told us one story of a woman who was just furious with him because he was about an hour late to pick her up because bad weather had grounded his plane. And she just ripped into him. I mean, just really just, I mean, just criticized him and yelled at him and then spent the rest of the flight giving him the cold shoulder treatment. Just kind of got off when he's done. Just, no good deed goes unpunished, right? He was just trying to help. But he said even though it is hard at times, it's been the biggest thrill of his life. He told us one story of a family whose mother needed treatment in a hospital in another state, and they couldn't afford to get even her there, let alone family members. So he flew all of them there so that she could get the treatment she needed, but also have some family for support. And he said after the flight, they were all crying, thanking him. They all hugged him. He didn't like that part. That, that would be the suffering for Jesus part. <laughs> but he said to know that I made that kind of a difference. His exact words were, quote, it is a bigger thrill than any business deal I've ever done, a bigger rush than making all the money I could ever think to make. You see, when we are part of what God is doing in the world, it will be hard at times. But it definitely makes life more meaningful, more adventurous. You could even use the word fun. So before you leave today, wander through those booths to see what God is doing in our world. And if you have not found your place in God's rescue mission, as you wander, pray this prayer. Lord, where do you want to use me and see where he leads you? Because you don't want to miss this. You do not want to miss this. This summer, we took our kids to a Mariners game and at one point, they got kind of restless, so I went up to get snacks, and I was standing in line, and suddenly the crowd was yelling and screaming and cheering, everyone standing, I couldn't see what was going on. And when I got back, my wife told me that Branyan had hit a home run, tied up the game, and I'd missed it. That is a really lousy feeling, right? Like, everyone's screaming and yelling, and you're in line getting popcorn, right? You know what? It is a worse feeling to miss God's great adventure. For us restless Christians, you want to be part of this. And I think God is calling our church to be part of this. You know, one of the things that we seem to be good at as a church is starting things that other people then join in on and our name falls off of it. Whether it's this Jubilee Reach Center or the service day we started that now involves over 30 churches, our role may be to start things that others join in on and we don't get the credit Jesus does. And I used to think that what God was calling our church to do was get out and serve in ways that pointed to Jesus. But you know what? Maybe it's even bigger than that. Maybe we are called to be the starting point for nothing less than revival on the east side. Not revival as intent meeting revival, but the original meaning of the word. To bring new life, to revive what has died. And certainly that includes people knowing Jesus, but it's even more. It's reviving the east side until it looks like what God always intended it to look. 
And revival's not going to come through one church. It's going to take all the churches working together. But maybe, just maybe, our role is to be one of those churches that gets it started. Someone's got to start it. Why not us? I mean, what if? What if? What if in 2014 there are no children crying themselves to sleep at night because mom and dad are getting divorced? What if the poverty rate plummets because we give people a hand up, not a handout? What if teenagers didn't feel the need to be sexually active to feel loved or feel unhealthy pressure to succeed just to be accepted? What if our businesses were marked with humility, grace, healthy competition instead of backstabbing and fraud? What if the number of people who follow Jesus jumped from only 9% to 75%? What if, what if? God has done all of these things in the past. He's doing many of these things right here in this church. And what if together with other Christians around the east side, we participated with what God is doing so much so that that Newsweek cover really did become a reality? Or better yet, a feature story on NPR. <laughs> That'd be the day, huh? What if God's call on us as a church is nothing less than to be the match that lights that fire and stoke the flames of revival until in the words of Isaiah, the earth is filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. So Lord Jesus, make it so. We hear you asking and we will go in your name. Amen.